You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, good morning. It's great to be in worship with you all this morning. I want to let you know that next Sunday at the 9 a.m. service, so at this service, we're going to be having a special service, a service of installation for a Reverend Dr. Dan Christ, who's our new associate pastor for Mission Outreach. So we're uh, super excited to welcome him on staff. Uh, come here uh, to celebrate in that service at 9 a.m. And then the following Sunday, on August 15th, is our kickoff Sunday. So basically everything is changing. So we're going to have a 9.30 traditional service in the sanctuary. A 10.45, so this modern service will be in the gym at 10.45. And then at 11 will be the traditional service in the gym. You can come to all three, but you're going to have to run back and forth. It's going to be a great time. And uh, whatever you prefer. So... And you can worship, and even if you don't feel comfortable uh, worshiping uh, with us in person, you can worship at home and then come at 11.30 for our big kickoff event. We're going to have food trucks outside. Don't tell anybody, but we're giving, I think, 500 yo-yos away. I have a buddy who's like a professional yo-yo guy, and he's coming. He's going to perform. He's going to teach us how to do yo-yo tricks. It's going to be fantastic. You're not going to want to miss out on that. So that's August 15th outside. It's going to be a fantastic time. Well, today, though, we are concluding our sermon series on the Incredibles of Faith. We spent a long time looking at figures from the Old Testament, but today we're going to look at the center of our faith, the center of the Bible, Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at a passage that takes up on the last night of Jesus' life. So let us open our hearts, open our minds to what God might have to say to us this morning. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, 
We ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you by your spirit can speak, that these words would not remain lifeless, dead ink on a page, but that they might spring to life. They might become your living word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I hate anything purple flavored. (laughs) And I didn't say I hate grapes because I love grapes, but I hate anything purple flavored. Purple popsicles, purple jelly beans, purple gumdrops, purple medicine, it's all disgusting. My mother did not care that I hated purple flavor. As a kid, I would often get sick with colds and sinus infections, and I would lay in bed moaning and feeling terrible. I would complain and complain. I would go on and on how sick I was. Maybe you identify with that. And my mom would come into my room. I remember, I have this image. She would come in with her hands behind her back, and she'd kind of sneak in. She'd sneak up on me, and then she'd pull out from behind her back a bottle of Dimetab and a spoon. And I just remember just, oh, just shriek. I was a very dramatic child, as you can imagine. And it was just terrifying. And she would slowly pour the purple liquid onto the spoon, and she would bring it towards my mouth, and I could swear I saw her grin. She just, and I just like, oh! And then she would say something like this. Are you sick enough to stay home from school, Jeff? Yes. And then she would say, a strong sickness takes an even stronger medicine. A strong sickness takes an even stronger Medicine. Friends, I think there's a great spiritual principle in this statement. A strong sickness requires an even stronger medicine. In our passage today, Jesus prays three times, it tells us, that the cup will pass from me. He says, will the, Lord, if, if it's your will, please help the cup pass from me. Each time he says, In verse 39, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And when he returns, he finds his friends asleep. He prays for them to stay awake. He says, please pray for me. And then he goes off to pray again in verse 42. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he returns to find them sleeping wakes them up and again he goes and prays the same thing. Let this cup pass from me. Several points I want to highlight here. Whenever whenever you see the repetition of three in the Bible, light bulbs should be going off in your head. There's a great emphasis on this passage. There's something important going on whenever you see the repetition of three. How many times is Jesus tempted in the wilderness? Three times. How many times does Peter deny knowing Jesus? Three times. How many times does it take for Jesus to say, or for Peter to say he loves Jesus when he's reinstated after the resurrection? Three times. In Peter's vision in Acts, he's instructed to eat 
unclean animals in a vision. How many times? Three times. This story is actually told in all of our synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the gospel of John, the cup that he's supposed to drink figures a little differently. Jesus eats a final meal with his disciples on the last night of his life, and then he walks with them to a garden to pray in the gospel of John. Then a band of religious and political leaders come with Judas with torches into the garden, and they confront him. And in his moment of peril, the disciples kind of huddle behind Jesus like scared children behind their mother. But then Peter comes forward, and he draws out his sword. He's going to defend Jesus. And he swings it, and he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. And then Jesus turns to him and says something interesting. He tells Peter to put his sword away, and then he says, Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So in all four Gospels, in the last night of Jesus' life, Jesus says, am I not to drink the cup? I'm supposed to drink a cup. Clearly he doesn't want to do this, but he says, not my will but your will. He must surrender his own will to the divine will. All four gospel writers symbolize and use this symbol of the cup. Why? <laughs> and this question like, fascinated me several years ago, and I got uh, like, obsessed with why in the last night of his life does he refer to a cup? I discovered that the prophets in the Old Testament actually often used this symbol, this image of a cup. And like my mother used to force me to drink that purple medicine that I didn't want to drink, that she would make me drink to help me get better, oftentimes the prophets use the image of the cup in the same way. They say the people must drink a cup of judgment so that they may be healed. And you can find this all over, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, but I'm going to use Two examples. The first is from Isaiah 51, 17. Listen to this. He says to the people of Israel, rouse yourself, rouse yourself. He says, wake up, wake up. Oftentimes also the prophets assume that the people are asleep. Rouse yourself, rouse yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who have drunk to the dregs the bowl of staggering. The cup of his wrath. Karl Barth teaches us, this is for you, Drew. Karl Barth says, God's wrath should be represented as, or understood as the burning fire of God's love. God's wrath, whenever you read it, just put in parentheses there, the burning fire of God's love. And so Isaiah has said, Jerusalem, Israel, drink the dregs of the cup of judgment. It's a bitter cup, but it will wake you up. It'll wake you up to a healing process from your thoughtless sinning. Now, you might ask, is the cup of judgment reserved for Israel alone? Is it an only um, a localized thing? No. Check out the book of Psalms. Psalm 75, verse 8. Listen to this. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup 
with foaming wine, well mixed. He will pour a drought from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. The psalmist announces that the Lord will pour the cup of judgment on all wickedness. No one escapes the consequences of sin. The psalmist announces that this cup of judgment will come in the form of a drought. It's going to be poured out on all, all the nations. Eventually, everyone will have to drink from it. Time and time again, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this image of the cup of judgment. What do you have to do to drink the cup of judgment? Well, you'll have to drink it if you exploit the poor, if you lie, cheat, or steal, participate in idolatry, allow corruption in the courts, if you treat people unjustly. Judgment will come for you. Wherever sin occurs, judgment is not far behind. Now, I don't want you to think God is up there like some grand scoreboard keeper in the sky waiting to spank us, okay? As St. Augustine used to say, sin contains the seed of its own punishment. Sin contains its own punishment. What does he mean here? God has hardwired the punishment for sin into the nature of the world. Often the, the apparent enjoyment one gets from sin conceals the effects of it. So while you're, you may be an adulterer for a time and think this is great, having a great time, eventually you're going to have to experience the punishment of a broken marriage. Not fun. Or, or consider the person who, who gossips and lies. Oh, this is great. I'm so entertaining at parties. People love it. Well, Eventually, you're not going to get invited to many parties because everybody's going to know you're a gossiper and a liar. You're not going to have any friends. In global matters, if you have unjust economic relationships, well, you're going to bring around about international and global chaos. Sin contains the seed of its own punishment. God has hardwired this into the nature of the universe. So for folks my age and older, we might remember... Uh, that U2 album, Joshua Tree, where Bono sings, uh, sweet the sin, bitter the taste in my mouth. That's what he's getting at. It tastes good until it goes down. Or, and you guys don't think I know country music, but Kenny Chesney, <laughs> it's always your favorite sin that does you in. It's always your favorite sin that does you in. Tastes good on the front, but ends up feeling terrible on the end. The cup of judgment comes with sin. This is a powerful image, actually, in C.S. Lewis's chronic, what? Coals of Narnia. And I don't know if you remember it. Uh, Edmund follows Lucy into the wardrobe and stumbles into Narnia. Okay, and he's given also promises of power. Listen to what Lewis writes. He says, she knew, the white witch knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight, and that anyone who tasted it would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. Anyone who tasted it would want more and more of it, 
and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. They'd eat themselves to death. And so when Edmund comes under the power and seduction of the white wish, he even betrays his friends. And this is one of the great themes of C.S. Lewis's writing. Sin contains the seed of its own punishment. Tastes good at the beginning, but it doesn't work out in the end. And we all participate this. We are all born into the world with dirty hands. As the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is that Jesus on the last night of his life says, am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus says he's going to drink the cup of judgment that we deserve. I'm going to drink the cup that you deserve. I'm going to drink it out of grace and love. I'm going to drink that cup full of shame and judgment. I'm going to replace it with a different cup. He's the only one that can drink it because he can defeat it. A strong illness requires an even stronger medicine. Have you seen the the movie The Princess Bride? It's one of my favorite scenes in that movie. The scoundrel, Vizzini, has kidnapped Princess Buttercup. And her long-lost love, Wesley, who's disguised, not to ruin it for you, as the man in black, he's pursuing her and finally comes upon Vizzini. And Vizzini, they challenge each other to a duel of wits. They have two goblets in front of them. He says, I'm going to put the odorless poison Iocane powder in one of them, right? And then we're going to see which one will drink it. And whoever drinks the Iocane powder will die, and the other one will win the life of Princess Buttercup. I love this scene. And Vizzini plays a little joke on Wesley. He says, oh, look over there. And then he switches the goblets when he's not looking. Remember this? And then they both drink. And Vizzini thinks he's played a clever joke, a trick on him. But the man in black, Wesley, gets the last laugh. Vizzini keels over dead. And Princess Buttercup says, oh, and just for th- to think that for the whole time the Iocane powder was in front of you? And the man in black says, no, no, no. I put Iocane powder in both. And we, and we as the viewer are like, oh, did not see that one coming. He says, I spent... Many years building up an immunity to Iocane powder. See, he understood this principle. A strong illness takes an even stronger medicine. He could take it in and overcome it. And in the same way Jesus Christ does for us, Wesley in many ways is the Christ figure. He drinks the cup of judgment that we ought to take, that we couldn't handle. And it's a cup full of grace and love. And today we're going to celebrate communion. And I want you to know that when we take communion, it's this image of the replacement of the cup of judgment. There was a cup of judgment, but now we participate as forgiven sinners, as a community of faith in a new cup. Cup of grace and love. A whole new reality that can change our 
lives where we have received God's grace and now we are transformed. The 17th century British poet George Herbert wrote two lines in his poem, The Agony, that I think represents this the best. He says, love is that liquor, sweet and most divine, which my God feels as blood and I as wine. Listen to that. Love is that liquor, sweet and most divine, which my God feels as blood and I as wine. See, God in Jesus Christ has taken that cup of judgment, that judgment for sin, and has replaced it with a new cup, a cup full of grace and love, and given it to us that we might live transformed lives and let that love flow into the world. That is the good news of the Christian gospel. Strong sickness, a strong illness requires an even stronger medicine, and that is what we have and we're going to partake in today. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news you have offered us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this new cup that we get to partake in today, that it might transform our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.